Uh, I like to open with the meditation, so if you can, please put both feet on the ground, flat on the ground. Sometimes when we have our legs folded, we carry tension in our body, we stop circulation, we ignore that our legs asleep, that sort of thing. Put both feet flat, open your hands up to God, and really just allow circulation in your body to go. You are a whole person, your body and your mind and your soul and your spirit, it's just, you're one. You're, you're a whole being, and we're bringing all of ourselves to God. So take a deep breath. Breathe deep in your diaphragm, deep in your, like, your stomach area. Again, more circulation. And I'd like you to think. Think about what and where your body has been since last Sunday. For many of you, you sat in this sanctuary last Sunday and your body has moved through a lot of different spaces and scenarios over this last week. Think about where it's been. Think about the ways that you've used your body for good, to nurture and to love and to sow peace. Think about the way you've ignored your body and you've just been so focused on the next destination that you've left a lot of good things undone, good things that you could be doing or you could have done with your body and you didn't, you ignored it for the, the thing that you had to get to. Keep breathing. And now think about ways that you, your body was just brought into outright bad ways that your body exploded in anger or ways that you were oppressive, harmful, lustful, greedy with your body. And now you're here in church where we try to pay attention to God so that from here we live all of our life in reference to God. Bring all of that to God right now. Your entire life, your body, your mind before God right now. Romans 8, 11 says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. This final breath, I'd love for you to breathe in and welcome the life of God by his spirit now in your body. Welcome. Say yes to the life of God. Yes to the life of God. And Jesus, I pray now as we, as I offer these loaves and fishes to you that you would take and make a meal from it that we can learn, whole body learn and be transformed that our minds and our bodies would show up to this world in ways that are pleasing to you, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. In her book, uh, Liturgy, Liturgy of the Ordinary, which is Juniper, my daughter's favorite book on my bookshelf, because on the cover, there's a picture of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And ever since she was old enough to walk, she'd grab this green book off of my shelf and carry it with her all over the house. And so uh, one day during my... Uh, Paternity leave, yeah, that's right, paternity leave, I was like really kind of, 
I don't know, bummed or sad or like I just didn't feel that connected. And she had pulled this book up and put it in my bed. And I'm like, okay, God, I think I get it. She's taken it off the bookshelf enough. I really haven't read it yet. I should read it. It's an amazing book, by the way. You should get this book. In there, Anglican priest Tish Harrison Warren writes this. She, not, not on the screen yet, just a second. She writes, each day our bodies are aimed toward a particular end, a telos. And the way that we use our bodies teaches us what our bodies are for. She writes that there are plenty of messages in our culture about this. The proliferation of pornography and sexuality-driven advertising trains us to understand bodies, ours and others, primarily as a means of conquest or pleasure. We are told that our bodies are meant to be used and abused, or on the other hand, that our bodies are meant to be worshiped. And then she writes this, quotes on the screen. If the church does not teach us what our bodies are for, our culture certainly will. If we don't learn to live the Christian life as embodied beings, worshiping God and stewarding the good gift of our bodies, we will learn a false gospel, an alternative liturgy of the body. Instead of temples of the Holy Spirit, we will come to see our bodies primarily as a tool for meeting our needs and desires. Or we might believe that our bodies should be flawless and spend endless amounts of time and money on creams or Botox or surgery to, to, to stave off the reality of our frail and aging bodies. Or we may attempt to ignore embodiment altogether, eating and drinking what we will with no regard to the way our choices violate a call to steward our bodies as gifts. My hope in this series is to teach this church, our church, what our bodies are for. Because for many of us, we've been habituated by our culture that teaches one thing. And what I would like to do, and I think this is the issue of our day, is to reorient our bodies towards and in reference to God. And I think that this lack of understanding of what our bodies are for to be the core of what it means to faithfully follow Jesus in our time with our whole lives. I see it as the gap that needs to be bridged if we are to understand Jesus' teaching on sexuality, on identity, and the New Testament teachings of what it means to be male and female are all rooted in the body. Now, without an understanding of the telos of our bodies or the goal or the aim or the mean, meaning of our bodies, there is a vacuum with regards to our body that is filled with the cultural teaching that our body is whatever you want to do with it as long as it doesn't harm someone else. Now, as you can see, this is a daunting task. This has been a very daunting task. Last week, the intro teaching stirred up a lot in our community, and there are probably many questions. I've got many questions uh, floating around. What, what is, then what is the body? That is what the body isn't. What is the body? Because last week, admittedly, I spent two-thirds of my sermon naming the problem. Now, I do this often when we introduce a series where I have to like spend time, like what, what is the cultural waters that we're swimming in? What are the false narratives that we believed in? That sort of thing. So two-thirds of my sermon were naming the problem last week. And last week I, I said the problem was, a, it was rooted in a Christian heresy, Gnosticism, and a secular fallacy that div divides the, the, the spirit of the soul and the body, which leads to two common views of the body. The rejection of the body, as something to escape. Now, I said that in the, in, in, the, in the church or Christian way of thinking about this, we think our body is bad and we can't wait to escape our body and die and go to heaven where we release this body to the ground and we're up in heaven when we die and everything on this earth is gonna fade away and burn away. So you can, you can ruin this earth or ruin your body. It doesn't really matter. It's all about the spirit. It's all about the celestial worlds. 
The other fallacy, the other common view that, um, that, th- that this leads to is the obsession with the body, is the body is something to conquer. And this is the cultural waters that we swim in. Uh, the, the conquered body is everything in our culture. If you show up from post-pandemic and you show up and you, ha- you lost like 35 pounds and you're just pure muscle, people would be going, dang, you're amazing. Because we celebrate the conquered body in our culture. Now, after I spent most of my allotted time last week naming the problem, I got very pastoral at the end. I said, I'm gonna get very pastoral. I'm not really gonna dive into the theological matters so much this week because I really wanna deal with some pastoral things. But today's the day. Today's what, what I like to do is I like to get into the, some of the deeper theological matters as it pertains to our bodies and its telos and its purpose. So if you would, please take notes. If not, just commit that you'll go re-listen to this because this is pretty somewhat, maybe, to me, I think this is, um, this is important and fairly dense. So I'm gonna be building on uh, a bunch of stuff that I've said over the years about creation and about the body, um, but I, I wanna deal with four things today. I wanna deal with what is the body, what the body is for, what gets in the way of seeing our bodies correctly, and how to reclaim what has been lost. Those are the four kind of movements of the sermon. So the first part, what is the body? Turn to page one in your Bibles, Genesis chapter one and two, the very beginning. This is where every uh, important theological concept that we teach on has to start, Genesis chapter one, the beginning. Verse 26, after God, this is day six, after God created the, the, the night and day and land and sea and animals and all this stuff, he says this, the apex of creation, the, the climax of creation is the human body, um, it says in Genesis. And then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and of the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Jump to chapter two, verse seven. Just flip your page over. Chapter two, verse seven. Let's just click into this creation of of humanity real quick. Verse seven, chapter two. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now go back to chapter one, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Verse 31, and God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And then there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So let's get back to this question, what is the body? What is the body? The answer is you. You are your body. The humans God created in the beginning, he created embodied. The body is made of matter and spirit, or as Dallas Willard calls it, dust and divinity. We are creatures of the earth. That's the most fundamental thing that can be said about human beings right from Genesis, that we are living, breathing bodies composed of earth's chemical elements, dust and clay, but we're not just matter, we're not just from the earth, we're not just made up from earth's elements, not just the raw elements from the earth, we are another thing. As Eastern Orthodox theologians love to say, God is a mystery and therefore so are humans. Our bodies are another thing, we're not just 
flesh and bone. We are spirit or breath. God breathes into us breath. He takes the, the, the elements of the earth, he fashions humanity, and he breathes in them the breath of life. Another way of thinking about breath inside of this material body is animation. We are animated. God breathed into mankind, God created mankind from the earth, and then he breathed the breath of life into us, and we became animated bodies. That's who we are, animated bodies. There's a scary moment when um, my son, Nowen, was born. Um, he was born, and they, they put him on my wife's chest, and he uh, laid there for a, a second, and then he laid there for two seconds, and then three seconds, and then four, and, and he just laid there unanimated, like not moving. And I was holding a pillow because I was kind of waving Ashley, because she was hot, because, I mean, she had a lot of work to do. So I'm, like, waving, like, air. It's, like, hot in here. I'm, like, I got this. I got this. Like, I'm in training for this. Like, that sort of thing. And, um, and I went from, like, using this pillow as a fan to hugging it, like, in a corner as I'm watching, like, uh, my son on my wife's chest just there. And then they hit the button, and then everyone in the whole hospital rushes in, and the button is not a, not a good button. It's a bad button. And everyone rushes in, and they're just sitting there around, and they're trying to get... Uh, now and to, to take his first breath. And then finally he does, and immediately animation. He's animated where before he wasn't, no breath, and then immediately his first breath on this side, animation. And he cries, and we're all like, yes, he's crying. And that's the first time we're like, yes, he's crying. You know, after that, you're like, I don't, no more crying. Um, <laughs> our, our bodies are matter, and animation, spirit. This is, this is what God breathes into us. And that's you. You are your body. We were made as bodies, and that's not incidental to our faith, but integral to it. We experience life and pleasure and limits in our bodies. Men and women are bodies. Now, it might seem very obvious to start here, but we have to reclaim this. Now, you may be thinking, didn't the wonderful C.S. Lewis once say, probably in Mere Christianity, where all his good quotes come from, that you don't have a soul, you are a soul, you have a body? I have had people quote that to me even this last week. Didn't C.S. Lewis say that? No, C.S. Lewis never said that, ever. You can look it up on the internet. It's, he's never said that. Or you can just read his writings if you want. He never said that. He never wrote or said anything like that. He actually said the opposite uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a few of his books. I think it was The Weight of Glory, I think. One of his books, he says the complete opposite, that you are flesh and spirit combined being one like organic matter as, it, as you don't know where one begins and the other ends. They're together. He never said anything like that. He never said anything like that because one, he wasn't a Gnostic, a Gnostic and two, I'm pretty sure he read Genesis chapter two. I'm sure that C.S. Lewis read Genesis chapter two. Genesis doesn't say that God made a soul and put it in a body. That's the movie Soul. <laughs> That's not Genesis chapter one or two. Like, well, that's just the movie Soul. Like, you're like, I think you're repeating the movie Soul, not the Bible. It wasn't that you were a, a soul and you floated in the cosmos before and then all of a sudden you get a body and then you leave your body later. No, God made a body 
and he animated the body. He made a body, and then he animated it. He breathed into it the breath of life. You are your body. Now, what's a body for? Now, this is where things get a bit complex and messy. We have all been taught, first off, that we are not our bodies, that we are souls at best, like the movie Soul. By the way, the movie Soul is amazing. It's like one of my favorite Disney movies of all time. Great movie, again, but it reinforces, reinforces the belief that our bodies are just meat suits our soul enters into for a time only to ditch later on. That is Disney, that is not the Bible. We've been taught that we are just brains or minds on a stick, and it's our minds that matter, not our bodies, that our minds are the things that secure forgiveness of sin. It's like we, we have to believe the right thing in our minds in order to be saved. It has nothing to do with what we do with our bodies. It has everything to do with our minds. And we're told that we have to believe the right thing. So and even in Christianity, we're told the mind is what matters. And let's take it a step further. Many of us were led to believe in the church that our body is actually what gets in the way of our spirituality. It's our bodies that are public enemy number one to the spiritual life. This is where purity culture comes in and comes from. This is where asceticism comes from. This is where that phrase, I don't know if you ever heard of that phrase, the frozen chosen, where we're like, we don't really move our hands and we don't really like are affectionate. We're just like, we believe the right things. It's all about the mind. And during worship, hands never go up. They stay down and when they sing deep voice, and that's kind of all we get, that sort of thing. Dale, um, our, our old executive director, was Baptist, and he had this really great Baptist joke, and he could only tell it because he's Baptist, and he said that Baptists don't have premarital sex because it might lead to dancing, which is a great Baptist joke. If you're Baptist, you get that. You're like, yeah, that's about right. And it's this kind of purity culture that the body is dirty, and it must be policed. This is kind of what we get in the church. The body's a dirty thing and it has to be policed. Now you might be thinking of the scripture like in 1 John 2, 6, that, that verse where the lust of the eyes and the lust of flesh and the pride of life, all those are bodily. Or you even get that scripture in, uh, in Philippians 3.21 in the King James Version that calls our bodies vile bodies. Now that's not a good translation of that word, but King James kind of like sets the tone for the culture in the church for like hundreds of years. So our bodies are vile. Now, it is true that our bodies can overwhelm us with their impulses and terrify us with their vulnerabilities. But we must insist, as Willard does, Dallas Willard does in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, if there's one book I would recommend that you get during the series, it would be and read The Spirit of the Disciplines. In this book, Willard insists that our bodies were not made to be what we find them to be. What we find our bodies to be right now is not what they were created to be. And intention is very important. So if we wanna know what our bodies are for, we have to know why they were created and how they were created. So let's go back again to Genesis chapter one. Look at verse 27 and 28 again. We're trying to answer the question, what is the body for? It says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, in this passage of scripture, there is a pivotal, pivotal concept about our nature as humans. That if we're going to talk about our bodies and their redemption, we have to understand this concept. 
and I'll just quote Willard straight from about this concept. He says this, quote, in creating, in creating human beings in his likeness so that we could govern in his manner, God gave us a measure of independent power. Without such power, we absolutely could not resemble God in the close manner he intended, nor could we be God's coworkers. Listen, the locus or depository of this necessary power is the human body. This explains, in theological terms, why we have a body at all. That body is our primary area of power, freedom, and therefore responsibility. Our body is our primary area, God-created, God-given area of power, freedom, and therefore responsibility. So back to our original question, what is the body for? Quite simply, the body is our power pack to enact the will of God on this earth. Our body is what God has given us to enact his will on this earth, to allow this earth to be as it is in heaven. This is what he's given, the power through which we exercise his will on this earth is our bodies. The body, the human body is what God made us to be in order to get his stuff done on earth. Now look again, Genesis Chapter one, look at it again. God created, the, created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. That's the human body. He created the human body. And then look next. And then God said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish, of the sea and the birds of the air. This is God's stuff on earth. God creates a human body and he says, with this human body that I've been, I'm, in pow- I'm giving you power to enact my, my stuff on this earth. God creates a human body and says, do my stuff on this earth. Take my, what I've created and spread it all over the earth. Now at this point, there might be a bit of confusion because you might be fuzzy on your creation story. You might be fuzzy like, wait, wait, wait. So he created the world and he put humans in it and the humans are to to take the world and and then like subdue the, the world. I don't understand why we would subdue the earth. Now, you have to have some working knowledge of how God created the world to realize that when God made the world, he didn't make it perfect. It never says, the Bible never opens up with God made everything perfect. It was, the, the earth wasn't complete. The only place that was ruled by God and complete was the Garden of Eden. The rest of the earth was kind of formless and void. God created it. It still had night and day and all this other stuff, but the the Garden of Eden was where um, uh, people like John Walton and temple theologies call it the temple. Like God's temple was right in uh, the Garden of Eden. And that's where things were complete, where order and peace and shalom was happening. And the idea was that God created humans, men and women, to then take what was happening in the Garden of Eden and spread it all over the earth because the earth did not have the presence of God in it the way that the Garden of Eden did. And men and women were therefore priests of God. They would be image bearers of God. They would take the goodness of God, cooperate with God, and spread that goodness all over the earth. And the way that you did that was with your body. So God created human bodies to partner with him in his image to spread his goodness all over the earth. That's what bodies are for. The human body was made to be a vehicle of human personality ruling the earth for God. Again, Willard, 
The human body is the primary field of independent power and freedom given by God to people. To put simply, no body, no power. No body, no power. People have a body for one reason, that we might have at our disposal the resources that would allow us to be persons in fellowship and cooperation with a personal God. Now, when I say our bodies are power, or they are a power pack to enact the will of God on earth, don't think of the matrix. Don't think of like we're just batteries passively doing what God or the machines are, want done. That's not what's happening. That's why Willard uses the word independent power. Our bodies are independent power. We have the agency and the freedom to use our bodies for their intended use or not. We have that agency. Do we cooperate with God or not cooperate with God? This is something we all know about our bodies. They can be used for good or for evil. They can be used to bring life into the world or to bring death, as we're experiencing across the other side of our world. They can be used to, they can, our bodies can be used to garden, restore, nurse a baby, or blow up a children's hospital, destroy a rainforest in the name of capitalism, or harm someone less powerful than us. Our bodies can be used for good or for evil. So that's what our bodies were created for. Our bodies were created to be independent power packs, to live in communion and cooperation with God, to bring about his will done on earth as it is in heaven. That's why God created us with bodies. Now you may be thinking, Great, but that's not how it is now. And you would be right. That's not what our bodies are used for now. At the heart of what went wrong with the story of humanity is something that is repeated in our bodies every day that we're alive. We use our independent power as human bodies not to trust and cooperate with God and live in union with him, but to enact our own will and want independent of God. And so we war and we fight and we lust, and we want, and we fear, and we subjugate, and we do this with our bodies to other bodies. And so in our bodies that were created to bring blessing and peace and weave in the goodness of God into the fabric of the world in our bodies because of what we've done with our bodies or what's been done to our bodies, we carry in our bodies shame and embarrassment and fear and jealousy, actually the very first story outside of the fall of the Garden of Eden is the birth of Cain and Abel, and in that story there's jealousy and fear and anger and murder. And we just repeat that cycle over and over and over and over and over again. Murder looks like the murdering of our friend's career or a friend's image or murdering our marriages, murdering our, I mean, we, we, we spread the same thing, fear and jealousy and anger and murder. This is what we carry in our bodies now. And so the, the language or the metaphor, probably is a better word, that the New Testament uses when it talks about living as humans now is the word or the term flesh. Now, this is, this is where things get really, really tricky. Now, this whole, this whole sermon kind of like is a, just dodging about a million landmines, but this is, the, this is the big one. I wanna talk about flesh versus the body. This is where a lot of people got hung up last week. You're like, well, there's so many scriptures that talk about our body being bad. Well, read me one, and then I'll read them to you so you don't have to go there. Flesh versus the body. This is where we're gonna get into 
what gets in the way of seeing our bodies correctly. And a lot of it has to do with like a lot of uh, things, a misunderstanding of uh, the Apostle Paul, which, <laughs> which is a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of the church. Um, so the flesh, Paul uses this, this, this expression a lot in his writings, um, especially in his uh, letters to the Romans and to the Galatians. Let me read you a sample of them. Romans 8, 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. So a, a cursory reading of that, you're like, the flesh is the body is bad, and the spirit, you know, your mind is good. Flesh bad, spirit, mind good. Done. See, this is where it all comes from. Just keep reading, Romans 13, 14. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how you can gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay, the things that I want in this life, I just have to like not gratify them, I just have to gratify the spirit, not the flesh. Okay, let's keep reading. Um, uh, Galatians 5, 16. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. So they are in conflict with each other so that you are not able, you, you do not do what you, whatever you want. So then again, there's this competition, there's this battle between the mind and what we think is the body. Galatians 6, 8. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. And what we typically do is we conflate these two words, body and flesh, together, and then we think that they mean the same thing, which gets us into a whole host of problems because if, if we think of these things as bodily urges or bodily things, simply as that, and not as what this is actually saying, what we, what we typically do is like when we can't do anything that we like with our bodies, well, we do with things we like with our bodies all the time. Well, then I can't really follow the Bible. Well, I'll just do the spiritual thing. I'll just pray. And this is kind of what we do. We just, like, we just release the body like some other thing. The body is evil, whatever. I'm just gonna do the, the mind, the spirit thing. When we read these passages like flesh to mean our hands and our eyes and our feet and especially our genitalia, our sex drive, when we do that, we basically do not even know how to use the body for the glory of God. So basically, all the language about not living according to the flesh or making no provision for the flesh or not sowing to please the flesh is about denying the physical body in some way in favor of the inward spiritual life because as the thinking goes, flesh is bad, spirit is good. But that doesn't really work. Now, flesh, like many of the words Paul employs, is both figurative and literal. The word for flesh in the Greek is the word sarx, S-A-R-X. It means the fleshy parts of our physical body, but it also can mean life in general, figuratively. It can be negative, like all those verses I read above, or it can be positive, like Galatians 2.20. The life I now live in the flesh, sarx, I live by faith in the Son of God. Paul says, the life I now live in my body, in the flesh, in life, I live to please in, in faith in the Son of God. Just a positive way of using that word. We get this word confused with the word that Paul uses for body, which in Greek is soma, S-O-M-A. Paul uses the word body, soma, in a lot of his writings, and for the most part, he uses the word body or soma positively especially the passage we read last week where our bodies, our soma, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you understand temple theology at all in the Old Testament and the purity of the temple, you, would, you cannot say the body is evil if God lives in it. 
So then what do we do with this? Soma, sarks, body, flesh, how do we reconcile these two things? When Paul uses the term flesh negatively, he typically means our life in rebellion to God. Our life as lived independent of God. This is self-centered or selfishness life. One writer put it this way. Living according to the flesh means living according to the self-centered, selfish way of being human, which is at the root of our sin and all its deathly consequences. Indeed, the self-centered, selfish way of being human is what lies behind all the evil powers of this present age, corrupt governments and corporations and presidents and CEOs and more animated by the spirit of greed or vanity or domination, creating oppressive structures and unjust systems within society. When Paul contrasts spirit versus flesh, he's not contrasting the body versus the inward spiritual life. Let's unhook those two things. What is happening? He's contrasting two ways of being human in the world. Flesh versus spirit means Paul is contrasting two different ways of being human in the world. Living according to the Spirit, by contrast, means living according to a God-centered, other-oriented way of being human. It's using the independent power pack of our bodies to cooperate with God, submit to him, and live out of his will on earth as it is in heaven. What Paul is saying when he's, he's contrasting the Spirit and the flesh, he's saying there are two ways of being human. There's one that's according to this old way of life, this Genesis 3 onward way of life, where you're governed by selfishness, your life has been inward toward yourself, everything you touch is somewhat tarnished because of the sin that lives within you. But after Christ, behold, all things come new. You can actually use your body to cooperate with the new life, with the spirit life, this new way of being human, where the spirit of the living God lives within you and you cooperate with the spirit and the power pack that is your body links up with the power that is the Holy Spirit and you're able to do things that are supernatural that are, we're not able to do before. Things like full body healing of yourself and your mind and your soul and your spirit. Things like beginning to participate with what God is doing on this earth, maybe even some supernatural stuff breaking into that. This is the life of the spirit versus the life of the flesh. Life of the flesh is death. The life of the spirit is life and peace. And so Paul is saying, we, there's a new way of being human. There's a new way of taking your body and submitting it to the spirit of the living God. And by his spirit living in you, your body is then used in this new way. This inaugurated new way that Jesus did when he died on a cross and he rose again and he ascended to heaven and gave his spirit. There's a new way of being human. It's life of the spirit. Now, how do we reclaim what's been lost? How do we begin to then go, okay, how do I begin to use my body for what is good and beautiful? How do I begin to use my body in ways that are spirit-led and not sowing things in the flesh? Well, the body lies right in the center of our life with God. And the, and the way to begin to do this, and this, it's a biblical word, and there's no other really good word for it, is the word repent. This means to turn. turn. Turn your body over to God. Every part of it. 
If our body is the primary field of independent power and freedom given to us by God that we might have at our disposal and the resources that would allow us to be persons in fellowship and cooperation with God, then the telos of our body, the meaning, the goal, the purpose of our body is to turn every part over to God for that. And so Romans 12, one says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's grace, in view of God's redemption, in view of the new order of humanity breaking into time and space, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Offer your bodies as a living, the funny thing is sacrifices typically die, right? You kill them and they sacrifice those things that, that die, you give that up. But a living one, Paul is playing on words here, we actually get up, we give ourselves to God, then we get up and we're alive. And now this sacrifice gets off the altar and goes into the street down Valencia and brings in the, the, like, like the, the will of God on earth through the body, through our bodies. Paul's a little bit more on the nose on this one, Romans 6.13, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. He's saying every single part of your body that's used, don't use it as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God. Same language, living sacrifice. Offer yourself to God, meaning your whole self as those who have been brought from death to life. Now you're living in the new order of things, the spirit life now, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. I want you to think about this. Every part of your body, your hands and your kneecaps and your fingers and your eyes and your ears, what if every what if when you were baptized, your whole body went under the water and was baptized? Think about that. All of your body in service to God. Every single part, every single member of your body given over to God as instruments of righteousness, not instruments of wickedness. This is what we do with our body. We partner with God where every single part of our body gets integrated, where every single body, part of our body gets healed, where the, where the actions and the reactions of our body get healed, and we turn it all over to God and we release our body over to God. This is what Paul means when he says to present or offer your bodies a living sacrifice. And this, what this needs is, this needs to be definite action. So we're gonna do that now. Let's get weird for a second. Let's close with the meditation. Okay, shake off the tension. Usually during a sermon, you guys, I, yeah, you either like start slouching or leaning in or getting tired or your hands cramped, whatever. Okay, let's shake off the tension. Everyone put your feet on the ground. We're gonna close with the meditation and Typically meditation, this thing is, this meditation is called a body scan, but we're not gonna do a body scan. We're gonna do a, a, a body offering. So we're gonna go through every part of your body and we're gonna think about offering that part to God. You can do this at home. You can do this, put it on your calendar to do once a year, do it once a week, once a month, every morning, whatever. Do it for a while. Where every part of your body gets turned over to the will of God. So, would you close your eyes? Would you... Put your hands in your lap and take a few deep breaths. I want you to think about your, your feet. 
the things that they have rushed to this last week? Or maybe the things they've rushed away from? Think of the way that your feet have led you into righteousness or have led you into wickedness. If there's any ways that your feet have rushed you into sin, would you repent, turn? Imagine your feet fully offered to God. I want you to think about your legs up all the way to the top of your waist, your calves, your knees, your thighs, your genitals, your butt, every single part of your legs. Think about ways that you've offered this part of your body as instruments of disobedience or wickedness or instruments of righteousness. The Apostle Paul, whose writings need to be reclaimed, has very specific ways that that people who are single use this part of their body and very specific ways that those that are married use this part of the body. Think about that. What would it look like to offer yourself fully to God? Where you walk, where you sit, offer it to God now. Think about your core, your stomach, your lower back, your chest. Think about the warmth, the warmth that comes from this part of your body, your lungs, the way you breathe, and your, the way your heart is at rest. Or maybe the anxiety that you hold here. Maybe you hold your anxiety on the top of your chest or down your stomach. What would it look like to bring this into simpatico with God? Notice your breathing and notice your chest rising and falling. Offer that to God. Think about your arms and your shoulders and your upper back, things that carry a lot of stuff. Some of us carry our stress there. Think about what our hands have touched or have done the ways that compassion is used in our hands, maybe the way anger is used in our hands this last week. What it look like to turn to God and turn that over to God and say, Lord, use my arms and my hands and my shoulders and the things that I carry, the things that I go, the things I open, the things I close for you. And lastly, your head, your eyes, your nose, your mouth, your ears, your facial expressions. Jesus called eyes the window of the soul, how light gets out. Think about that. Think about what we are projecting into the world with our face. What it look like to offer that fully to God.
And Lord, this is our body. This is our forever body. We'll get a renewed one, but this is the one that you've given us. This is the one you fashioned and breathed the breath of life into. And for those that are Christians, this is the one that you've redeemed. And those who are not yet Christians, this is the one that you are in the process of redeeming. And Lord, we offer this to you and we pray that we would be your body here on earth, that we, Lord, would learn how to use the members of our body partnering with you, God. And it's gonna be messy and there's a lot of learning to be done and unlearning. So would you be with us and would you help us? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.